Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Well met, fellow adventurers. I'm in the Copper Hill Lodge. Got some jobs from Taskmaster Merciful. Taskmaster Merciful, a thin, baldy man whose left arm is missing just below the shoulder sits alone at a table towards the rear of the hall. A large book opened before him. His sharp green eyes fix you with a piercing gaze as you approach. So, how is the Copperhilt Lodge Lodge's most accomplished adventure fairy? He asked, his sardonic jive delivered in a friendly, jestful tone. I might have something for you to do, unless someone else has already taken it. I make no promises on such matter. Ventures for the location. Breaching the deep. The one who did make it back is no longer here, says Marple. Well, a lodge master believes it's about time we had another go in it. And he's picked you for the mission. A small, secretive sort of mission. Very small. Very secret. Here we are. This so begins breaching the deep. This task involves no at all. It's a rather special sort of task. Marple studies you closely as you're attempting to determine whether or not what you've just said produced any effect upon him. Seemingly put off by your lack of reaction, he frowns and lays out the mission. You learn that late last year, Lodge Master Wildbadden came into possession of a map that detailed the location of some ancient ruins, not far inside the southern edge of Dragonmere Deep. An ex- an expedition organised by the Lodge soon after the map's discovery ended in disaster, 
three of the party's four members never returned from the swamp. The one who did make it back back to us is no longer here, says Marple. Well, our large master believes it's about time we had another go at it. He's picked you for the mission. Small, secretive sort of mission. Very small, very secret. It's quite an honour, you know. When you ask Marple why Wadbrown is so keen on investigating the ruins, the one-armed man's brow furrows. Then, as if satisfied by the response he's formulated, his expression returns to his familiar stoic state. Marlborough tells you that Wadbrown believes there is a treasure chamber somewhere in the ruins. You learn that the previous expedition, still a sore subject which few dare breach in the presence of the Lodgemaster, failed to discover whether or not the belief held any merit. The man who returned from the deep was a shattered soul, he remarks. We could, we could learn, very, learn little of any use from him. Don't misunderstand who. The deep, and some of the things to call it home, have been known to have that sort of effect on folk. It's doubtful, of course, that someone of your experience and abilities would find yourself similarly affected. Unwilling to allow Marple's account of the expedition to, expedition to end there, we ask him what became of the man who came back alone. He's gone, he says flatly. Perhaps fearing his curt response will leave too much to imagination, he quickly tells you the man left his plot, the lodge, bound for Talonus, and never again returned. Sensing he does not wish to entertain any further questions regarding the previous mission, you decide, for now, to make no further mention of it. You learn that you will be accompanied by a man named Eric Lear, a master boatman and former log and fellow launch member, whose knowledge of the waterways that snake through the tangled deep is thought to be without equal. No sooner is Marple named your companion for the impending mission, as a short, portly man, his stubby fingers wrapped around a sloshing tankard, stumble up to the table. He regards you with a quizzical look, and then, obviously unable to help himself, breaks into a fit of obnoxious laughter. The taskmaster rolled his eyes and then, somewhat good-naturedly, admonishes the man. As a drunken man teeters off across the tallied hall, Marple mutters what sounds like a body. Yes, that was Eric Yar, he says, answering the question you've only just considered posing. You'll be fine. You didn't worry about him. He's not good for much, in the usual sense. But getting into the bog and back out alive is something of a speciality of his. It's a pity he couldn't take part in the last exhibition. Might have turned out differently. As you see, he's prone to be out of sorts now and then. In any event, I'm sure you'll be glad to know him. Bear in mind, says Marpo, his demeanour suddenly swooned, that our lodge master only wishes for you to locate the wounds to prove they actually exist. He has other plans for exploring them, should they be found. There is, of course, a generous reward for your success. Both Wog, the Logma, the Wogmaster, the Logmaster, and I have full confidence in you. Marple reaches his in pockets and draws out a ragged square cloth, inked in black upon the tattered fragment. Is a strange symbol. 
a seven-pointed star surrounded by a wing of fire. You will need to use this mark to identify any wounds you find. It is our, that is, our Lodge Master's belief the symbol will be prominently displayed. Don't ask me any more about it, though. Beyond what I've just said, I know nothing. Marco hands you the cough and cloth and tells you to keep it. You study it carefully, then slip the piece of fabric into your pocket. You best get on get on your sleep. It's suggested to me that you should embark as soon as tomorrow morning, he says. You need not worry. Eric Air has studied the map and believes he knows the area in which the ruins will be found. As I've said, he knows the swamp better than anyone. He'll get you there and back. Still not certain about many of the details of the mission, though confident you can figure it out as you go, you take your leave, leave of the taskmaster and prepare to settle in for a much needed night's sleep. Night west. Less than an hour after the first light of the sun crept behind the endless ceiling of rolling grey clouds, you are aboard a small but sturdy vessel floating along one of the many waterways that exit the marsh next to which the Copper Hilt Lodge stands. At the side, his bright eyes scouring the murky water on all sides, is Aragilir. The master navigator, a long-time resident of the lodge, seems in fine spirits, despite his impaired condition of the previous afternoon. He whistles joviously as he expertly wheels two broad-bladed oars in an ever-ending, never-ending battle to wipe the meandering vessel's course. The watery passage... It's churning currents, dragging your boat ever closer to the edge of the Great Swamp. Well, according to Erekir, take you to the very spot marked on Rogtobaden's map. Sketch copy of which your companion has tucked safely into his vest pocket. At length, you pass out of the marsh and into the thick of the greater bog. As the channel along which your small vessel floats begins to twist, and turn. Erokar reminds quite needlessly to remain watchful. Left, right, above, front of us, and certainly below, he says. We can't hope to see everything, but if we're expecting it, it can hardly surprise us. Well, so I like to tell myself, luck, it's all luck. I hope you've got a bit of luck with you. Well, I have 20 luck. I hope that's enough. Put, put our luck together, and we might, you know, we may just be enough to get us back alive. Erica grins and then, then laughs as he sets into the oars, propelling the boat further along the channel. Breaching the deep, he cries. Hear that, old woggy? Breaching the deep. For two full days, your craft winds its way along a series of murky, sluggy channels as you draw, to, draw ever nearer to the spot marked on the etched, sketched map. The crude guide to which Erekir frequently refers. Since entering the deep, you've only stepped ashore a handful of times, either to eat and to record nature or stretch your legs. Both you and Erekar take turns resting aboard the boat. Despite the discomfort of the arrangement, you both agree setting up camp in the bog is too dangerous. At last, on the morning of the third day of your trek, you reach a spot, spot where the channel you've been flowing since the previous midday splits. A broad flow shakes off to the northwest, 
while an hour, swifter course, meanders off to the northeast. Well now, that's not on here, smirks Erekar, tossing a makeshift rope and walk what rope and walk amper as he carefully studies the map. Wonder if they might meet each other again, if they don't, well, makes our next choice quite important. But oh, why think of such things? Any suggestions? So, I've, I've got some options here. Go, suggest you go northwest, suggest you go northeast, leave it to Erekar, or I could use woodmanship to get some clues. I'll do that first. You successfully used your woodmanship skill. 32 experience to woodmanship. After carefully studying the sketched map and observing both channels, you, you determine that heading northwest through possibly a longer loop will likely prove less perilous than a narrow passage to the northeast. When you relate this to Erekar, the grizzled navigator shrugs. If I'm being, in it, being honest, I don't really know what to say, he says. I'm more than willing to trust your judgment, though. We'll take whatever course you think is best. Okay, I'm going to be going northwest. Erekar nods and refolds the crudely sketched map, placing it back inside his vest pocket. Inside his vest pocket. Inside of it. I would, I would choose that one as well. I think he says, waving his hand at the northwest channel before hauling up the anchor. Well. I don't know where it'll take her, but there is, is a way we can find out. Let's be off. For the better part of three hours, your small craft, ensnarled by the sluggish currents drawing you deeper into the tangled interior of the Great Swamp, floats steadily along the broad channel. Only occasionally does our car employ the oars to keep the vessel from drifting close to the steep banks that rise up on either side of your course. Slumped down on the back of the boat, about to nod off at Erika's insistence, you suddenly spot a towering stone sculpture rising out of the water at the edge of the channel. The imposing monument, most of which is hidden beneath the murky water, depicts a sharply angled human face. Those idols are all over in here, says Erekar, whose sunken tome bears just a hint of deference as he refers to the sunken soldier. This one, I'd say, is larger than most, though. I don't suppose you want to take a closer look at it, would you? So I can investigate the idol, or not. I'm going to investigate the idol. Yes, but I think if I move it, a giant boulder will probably crush me. So as long as I don't move it, I'll be safe from giant boulders. Erekar manoeuvres the boat up to the idol, and you begin to examine the massive sculpture. The exposed portion of the sunken monument, its angled surfaces covered with moss, and the tendrils of some aquatic plant depicts a human face. The broad eyes adorning the stone face are closed, and the mouth is drawn into a dreadful scowl. Your mastery of law allows you to identify the idol's ancient Ardavari origin. So is this or else? This or else the impose about the opposing sculpture is readily apparent. Hurricar, seemingly nervous in the presence of the idol, mutters something 
as he continues to scour the dense vegetation overhanging the channel banks. Suddenly, you spot something just beneath the surface of the murky water. Your eyes immediately fall upon a small, glintering object resting at the back of a hollow carved into the idol's neck. After making certain lurk nothing is lurking in the dark water around the monument, you reach down into the cavity and remove a silver wing. It's a plain silver wing. View. There doesn't appear to be anything remarkable about this plain silver wing. Other than the fact that it's made out of silver, of course, Erica appears intrigued with your find and asks if he can have a look at the wing. After staring it for almost a minute, he shrugs and hands the plain band back to you. How do you suppose that ended up here, he muses. You can't convince me that. Hurricane's sudden pause sets you on edge. But it is startled shriek as his right hand stabs up into the air in the direction of the idol that sends your pulse racing. You immediately look to the top of the monument, where a strange and unsettling sight greets your eyes. Perched on the moss-covered ridge, crowning the idol's massive head, its long black claws gripping the stone, is a short, hideous, grey-winged, goblin-like creature. The leathery-skinned humanoid, its jutting jaws, filled with long, protruding fangs, flexes its broad wings as it stares down at you, the cold, calculating gaze of a predator. Your companion curses and shouts a warning as the creature takes to flight, lifting itself off the top of the monument and climbing several dozen yards into the sky before nimbly flicking in mid-air and streaking down on you. Erico again curses as he stumbles over himself and lands flat on his back at the bottom of the boat. Only moments before the creature is upon you, you hurl yourself to the floor of the boat in a desperate bid to avoid being torn open by the beast's deadly claws. Pick a number. Bonus of 40. 20 from seamanship. Yay, that's got a use. 20 from agility. Uh, you get... I'm going to get 75 or more. Or I'm going to get clawed in the back. Pick now. Failure. 57. You cry out in agony as the creature, the winged creature's long black claws tear into your flesh. Twenty-one damage. With blood oozing from your fresh wounds, you watch as the creature soars up into the air, preparing to make another diving attack. Ignoring your injuries, you hurriedly position yourself to protect your fallen companion. With no sound, save for the sharp wash of air created by its beating wings, the ghastly, grey-skinned creature swoops down at you and attacks, swiping out with its deadly black claws. Standing in front of Erekir, who is still struggling to sit up, you bravely engage the strange beast. It's a grey-winged creature. Whatever it is. The vicious creature swipes at you with his deadly claws and is now slain. 13 XP. You stand over the bloodied remains of the creature, endeavouring to catch your breath while Erika, quite recovered from his fall, prods the gruesome corpse with the toe of his boot. A bogwin, he mutters, 
repeatedly glancing at you as he examines the slain creature. Old Rocky's going to want to hear about this, or perhaps he won't, hard to say. I didn't think there were any of these blighters still around. What is Bogwin anyway? There's a link here. Bogwin, also known as both Swamp Goblins and Mire Claws, are grey-skinned goblins known to inhabit swamp, inhabit swamps, bashes, bogs and the likes. These crafty, diminutive humanoids are less intelligent than many of the other species of Goblin. What they lack in intellect, they more than make up for in cruelty and savagery. Bogrim will often be, be found living in fortified settlements deep within swamps. They will also take up residence in and around abandoned ruined structures. A small number of Bogrim are born with wings. These creatures, though more fierce and agile than their winged brethren, possess only animal intelligence. The wicked Bogwin often live on the outskirts of Bogwin settlements and are usually thought of as merely as beasts by their kin. Bogwin are master hunters, forgers, fishers and swimmers. It should be noted that Bogwin is both the singular and plural form of the name. When, you're, when your companion has finished his examination of the Bogwin, the two of you heave the, the carcass overboard and watch as it slowly drifts away along the channel. Equin says nothing as he again takes up his oars, with his eyes and yours scouring the water ahead. The small craft continues to drift further into the camp. Into the swamp, that is. <laughs> Why did I say camp? That's the wrong word. The third day of our excursion dawns with noticeable chill that lingers until long after the sun has risen. Erica, who seems to sleep very little, has spent the better part of the early morning poring over the map he sketched from Wog's Baron's original. Something appears to be bothering him. I don't quite understand it, he says, closing his eyes tightly and rubbing the bridge of his nose with his thumb and forefinger. Should have been closer by now. But closer to what? I don't even know. No, for what we're seeking is here. That's been fair reliable to now. Well, what now? What to do? How much further do we go? He could float along forever in here. Eric here has just, retu- just returned his attention to the map, tracing out your, your route with his finger. When you suddenly spot something through the wall... Or the binding's tangled trees to the west. Well, that's just a bit better, grins Erica as you alert him to your discovery. The two of you watch in silence as the boat drifts around a bend of the channel and nears the mouth of a wide, steep-banked inlet. There, sitting at the edge of a broad pool, his footings and some of its lower portion below the dark, lapping water of the bog, is the crumbling shell of a large stone structure. The long face of a dragon, some of it missing, is carved into the massive rock slab perched above the building pi- building's pillared threshold. A seven-pointed star, surrounded by a wing of fire, is carved into the slab just beneath the pointed tip. 
tip of, of the dragon's snout. You immediately draw out and glance upon the piece of cloth given to you by Marple. The symbol linked upon the fabric is identical to that which adorns the stone slab. As your small craft nears the middle of the pool, Ekaka uses the oars to slow the vessel, doing its best to hold its present position. He fixes you for an odd, almost impish look and winks. We found it, he says. Always have to keep a, keep a little faith Late near at hand. But what now? Ogwoggy's fairly convinced. There's a treasure room. If we can find it, we'll have a pick of whatever might be in there. With no one the wiser for it. What do you say to that? Your navigator's unexpected announcement catches you off guard. For a moment, you're not certain whether he's testing. Testing your loyalty. Or suddenly revealing an un- previously unseen side of his character. Alright, so I can agree to his proposal and get treasure, refuse his proposal and not get treasure, but also kind of be obeying the initial instructions, or I could use divination to give me some clues. It succeeded, 8 XP to divination. You sense that Erekar has honestly revealed to you his intentions. You also sense he is hopeful you will agree to his bold proposal. Okay, I'll agree to his bold proposal then. Erika seems pleased with the decision. He rubs his hands together and flashes you a silly grin. Yes, we'll have ourselves a look, he says. After all, we're the ones who found the place. this place. We deserve to have a first peek. No one will know. No harm in it. Erika takes up the oars and begins to propel your small craft towards a distant edge of the pool. Suddenly, a startled look crosses his face. He whips his head from side to side, staring down into the murky water. You immediately peer over the side and see nothing beneath the dark surface of the pool. Never mind, he says, returning to the oars. Thought I saw something. Maybe I did. Well, whatever it was. It was. If it was anything, it's gone. Within a few minutes, you're hoping Erika drive the boat ashore, just to the west of the winds. The navigator glances back at the water and appears to be intently studying its whippling surface. Then, turning to you, he smirks and shakes his head. Pay me no mind, he says. I tend to get a bit nervous this far into the swamp. All right, let's have a look around and see what we can find. We shouldn't linger here too long, but we can at least have a look. You and Elkar begin exploring the ruins together, moving in and out of the crumbling shell of the once grand structure as you seek anything that might reveal the location of, of, the, of the treasure chamber. After a time, Elkar suggests the two of you split up so that the search might be hastened. Having grown tired of the hunt and inexplicably e- e- eager to begin the long trek out the swamp, you swiftly concur. Out of sight from one another, and having reached an agreement to meet back at the boat in an hour, you resume your scouring of the winds. Pick a number from 1 to 100. No modifiers at all. It's just... we'll just see. 15. You've been, up, you've been exploring alone for several minutes, and are just about to make a second sweep of the northeast section of the winds, when you suddenly see it. Hear something striking your ground at the feet. 
Gazing down, he watches two more stone-sized stones. Coin-sized stones slam into the earth with tremendous force. Instinctively realising you're under some sort of attack, you dive for cover behind a nearby heap of debris as stones begin streaking past you on all sides. Okay, picking a number. Bonus of 40, 20 from agility, 10 from body, 10 from luck. Got to get 75 or more, or I'll get stones thrown at me, or I'll be sneaked up on, or something like that. Failure, 50. As you leap for cover, several of the stones find their marks, slamming into the back of your head. <coughs> With blood streaking down your streaming down your face, you stumble and fall, but manage to crawl behind the rock pile. Crouched behind the pile of rubble, having only narrowly dodged the deadly barrage, you listen as the stones continue to strike the nearby ground. You're about to peer around the heap in an effort to try and view your unknown assailant, when the sinister sound of a soft footfall to your left spins, you, spins your head in that direction. Creeping around the mound of stone, their hands clutching crude wooden weapons are six small, grey-skinned humanoids. You immediately recognise the creatures to be Bogwin. And these are the regular kind. They don't have wings, but they're actually, you know, thinking creatures. So they can use... So they can use weapons and tactics and stuff. I mean, not very good weapons or tactics, but still. Probably more of a threat. As the six Bogwin close in, their blazing yellow eyes fixing you with murderous glances, you hurriedly position yourself to face the foul creatures one at a time. This is my first Bogwin. Alright. Brute... Bogwin attacks you with their crude weapons. Your enemy lays a particularly brutal stroke on you. Alright. Yep, that was 6 damage. Alright, 9 XP. You exhale sharply as you step back from the bloodied corpse of the slain Bogwin. The savage snarl. The next Bogwin is upon you, coolly brandishing its wooden spear as it attempts to run you through. Here we are, another Bogwin. Huh. This, that was odd. There didn't seem to be any any description at all of its attack. Hmm. Little glitch. 9 XP. Tail sharply as you step back from the bloody course of the slain Bogwin. With a snavage snarl, the next Bogwin is upon you, coolly brandishing his wooden spear as it attempts to run you through. Here we are, Bogwin number three, yeah, hmm. This is odd. You attack, your, I get my attack, but its attack is, uh, it's just blank. Hmm. Hmm, yeah, I'm going to have to, I think I'm going to have to tell, have to give a meh, give a bug report about that. Just pause it while I do that. Okay, he knows now. It's, it's here we are. Bogwin number four. 
Yep, same problem again. It's just not even describing the attack. Brutal stroke for eight damage. Yep, and slain. Thing is, most people just quit combat everything, so by the time they get to this stage in the game at least. So probably I'm probably one of the first people to actually, you know, read the battle text. You know it sometimes sometimes there's there's little bits of fun in it. What's this with the internet now? Alright, that's slain, 9 XP, here's number 5. Yep, just brutal stroke for 13 damage and, uh, and a, a, a gap. Bogrim number 6, and the final one. Yep, once again, there's just, there's just no description of its attack. Of course, it can still do damage, because that's not in any way tied to the description. And it's slain. They're all they're also all three pluses. Most things are. Exhale sharply as you step back from the bloody course of the same Bogwin. Elko and Sutty arrives and immediately begins examining the Bogwin corpses strewn about at your feet. He then turns to you and places his hand on your shoulder. As they often say, he says shaking of shaking his head. If you've seen one, there's bound to be more about. We should have known better, I'm afraid. Old walkies can have a job cleaning out these things. Clearing out these things. For several minutes, you and I can remain in space, listening to the sounds of the swamp and watching for any sign of movement in and around the ruins. When it becomes apparent there are no more Bogwin in the immediate vicinity, at least not any willing to openly engage you, you can further the companion as you contemplate your next course of action. Elkar asks if you are still interested in looking for the treasure chamber. After the encounter with the Bogwin, you sense he's not entirely eager to resume the search. No, I, no, I want to continue. I want to continue. I've started, so I'll finish. Elkar consents, and the two of you immediately resume your exploration of the woods this time remaining within sight of one another. For nearly an hour, you move through and around the crumbling remains of the ancient structure, but find nothing that would serve to indicate the location of any treasure chamber. All throughout the ruins, however, you spot carved symbols that match the inking, inking on the piece of clock given you by Markbrook, a seven-pointed star surrounded by a wing of fire. Alright, pick a number. Bonus is 60. 20 from Law, 20 from Feathery, 10 from Aura, and 10 from Luck. I've got to get 100 or more to find to find the treasure chamber first. Pick now. 136 is a success. 16 XP to General, 64 XP to Law, 64 XP to Feathery. Of course, if I, if I got less than 100, Ericant would have found it first. And I wouldn't have got those little XP bonuses. You're about to, call, about to call off the search when you spot something that causes you to cry out in surprise. 
on the north wall of the ruined structure, behind a thick blanket of moss, and discover the telltale outline of the small, narrow door. You quickly alert Equa to your Heraclitia find, and together the two of you begin clearing away the concealing greenery. A few minutes of frantic toil, which leaves most of the moss hanging in shreds, reveals reveals an ornate door set into the base of the wall. The narrow door, its edges flush with the surrounding blocks, is covered with dozens of engraved symbols. Curiously, the seven-pointed star symbol is not amongst those carved upon the door. A large stone latch is attached to the white side of the door. There was a womb here once, says Erikar, pointing to the toppled remains of several nearby walls. This must be it. Well, even if there is a chamber, look, there isn't any. Before you can stop in, Erikar reaches out and grasps the, la- grasps the latch. A thin arc of blue, blue lightning leaps from the door and strikes him on the hand. He shrieks and collapses backwards onto the ground, his hand singed. Might have thought better of that, he gasps, returning to feet. His face reds. Not a word about that, the lodge. They'll make enough sport of me as it is. Realising that the door is magically protected, you begin to examine the carved symbols covering its surface. You believe that touching the symbols in the correct passion will allow you to safely open the door. However, you also believe that the failure to discover the correct sequence may prove deadly. Erikar, nursing his singed hands, looks on nervously as you study the door. So, I can attempt to find the correct pattern. Law, Arcania, Thievery, Aura and Mind will all help. Or I can go, no, no, I don't want to get shocked. Now, I'm going for it, because usually the best treasures have the best locks. But also, and or big scary guardians attempt to discover the correct pattern. You carefully, you carefully attempt to discover the correct pa- pattern of symbols on the... To a, Passing of symbols and open the door. Check one of three. Pick a number. Bonus 40. 20 from Law. 20 from Arcania. Got to get 60 or more. Or I'll get shocked. 65. You believe you're closer to discovering the correct pattern of symbols. You You carefully attempt to discover the correct pattern of symbols to open the door. Two of three. Getting closer. Bonus of 40. 20 from Mind, 20 from Aura. Got to get 60 or more, or I'll, or I'll mess up and give my, get myself shocked. 92, success. You believe you're getting closer to discovering the correct pattern of symbols. You carefully attempt to discover the correct pattern of symbols and open the door. 3 of 3, almost there. Pick a number. Bonus of 30. 20 from Feathery and 10 from Luck. Going to get 60 or more. I'll give myself a shock. Oh, well, I failed the check with 41. Without warning, a thin arc of blue energy leaps from the door and strikes you squarely in your chest. 10 damage. Dazed and singed from the blast. 
you step back and we fix your next course of action. I said that was best left alone, says Erica. No sense getting killed over it. Just a quick heal now. Alright, make another attempt. Check one. Bonus 40. Success 80. Pick now. Success. Getting closer. Check two. Bonus 40. Success 60. Success. Check three. Bonus 30. 20 from P3, 10 from luck. I'm almost there. And got to get 30. Got to get 60 or more. Pick now. Failure. Oh dear. 59. One off. One off. 13 damage. Without warning, a thin arc of blue energy leaps from the door and strikes you squarely in the chest. Okay, make another attempt. First check, success. Second check, success. Check number three, bonus 30, success 60. Pick now. Failure again! Ah. Alright, that was 70 damage. Another attempt! Success. Success. Alright, third time for third time lucky. 70, success. Woo! <laughs> Suddenly. 128 experience to general. 64, 128 experience to thievery. 128 experience to law. 128 experience to Arcania. A violent shudder runs through the door as you press your finger onto the last of the carved symbols. You instinctively leap back as dust and small chunks of stone begin to fall away from the outline around the concealed door. Slowly, the heavy slab of stone swings outward, revealing a small, shallow chamber set into the base of the ruined structure. You glance at Erekar, the navigator nods and motions for you to enter first. With Erekar at your heels, the two of you cautiously step towards the narrow opening. There we go. You enter a small chamber filled with earthenware jugs, several urns and heaps of mouldy cloth sacks. Your first impression is the room was previously looted. However, a sudden discovery shatters that disheartening notion. In three sacks towards the bottom of the one of the piles, you find lo large quantities of gold. Erica seems particularly elated by the discovery. The two of you quickly divide up the gold. I've got 15,438 gold tokens. I don't know how I'm going to carry all that back. I guess I'll just have to use my... My hammer space wallet. <laughs> Which leads to a parallel dimension filled with gold. As you take possession of the gold, your eyes are suddenly drawn to something towards the back of the womb. Something you had not previously noted. There, less than a foot from the far wall, stands a massive stone chest. With Erica timid, timidly, timidly following... You make your way to the back of the chamber. 
the, the, sto the stone chest is locked. A copper lock plate adorns the front of the heavy box. Into its into centre of which is set a small keyhole. A myriad of arcane symbols are char carved into the chest lid. Slightly trapped. Just like that door, said Erica, backing away to stand by the open door. Well, you know better about that sort of thing, I suppose. Is there any chance we could get it open? Attempt to open the chest. I mean, this is double. This is behind a super lock. And then behind another super lock. So there's going to be even better treasure. Attempt to open the chest. Crouched before the stone chest, you carefully examine the stone container. As you contemplate how best to go about opening it. I've got a few options. I'm going to just go, nope, nope, not going to open it. I could use Arcania, Shadow Magic, Telekinesis or Thievery. I'll do Arcania a go. You successfully used it. 16x speed to Arcania. Utilising your mastery of Arcania. You closely study the symbols adorning the chest lid. Realising the markings of a magical origin. And will likely unlock lock the chest if cuts touching the correct sequence. You cautiously endeavour to discover the proper order. At last, confident you've arrived at the solution... You carefully touch the symbols in the sequence you've determined. As you finish, a sharp click from within the chest signals it is now unlocked. With Erikar lingering by the open door, nervously glancing in your direction, you carefully... You, care, you slowly lift the heavy leg and peer down into the chest. Lying at the bottom of the stone box are four large red garnets. The valuable gems glitter brightly. What's it? What's in it? Asked Erikar, not moving from his post. Hopefully it's more than dust du dust dusk. So, I've got an option here. I can just tell him the chest was empty. And get all the garnets. Show him one garnet, two garnet, three garnets, or four. So, so I can lie completely, tell the truth, lie a bit, lie a lot, tell one massive fib. I'm not going to lie at all. Show Erikar the four guns. You tell Erikar that the chest contains four garnets. The navigator, seemingly not interested in verifying your claim, remains by the entrance and shrugs. He might have been filled to the top with them, for it matters to me. I want you to have them, he says. There will be no argument, lads. You could easily make better use of such things. They're yours. Take them. You know what? I'll accept his generous proposal. He's already got a lot of gold. <laughs> so he'll be, he'll be fine with that, with that huge pile of gold. I think he could probably, probably live... Live comfortably for the rest of his life off that. Hmm, well, I don't know. How much would it cost to sustain someone for a life? Well, let's see. A fancy meal is about three gold. So, let's say, I don't know, ten? Ten gold for a week? And, you know, about 30 years, maybe? You could live... Fairly comfortably off that, but 
I mean, if you have that much gold, you could probably make some sort of investments. You know, I don't know, just buy some houses and make money off the rent or something like that. Except, I'm going to accept his generous proposal anyway. He's fine. And I think, and also, I, I like these garnets. I think I better do something with them. You accept Alco's generous offer and take possession of the four garnets. He smiles and tells you he's no particular use for gems. Four large wedge garnet. This large, glittering, roughly round garnet is a deep shade of red. Seems odd, I admit. I must admit, he says. I never quite fancy gems. Always seem, seems to be a bad element wound into any dealing with gems and jewellery. Gold is plain enough for me, and now I've got plenty of it. Probably more than this old man needs. After making a final search of the small room, you tell Erikar that you, that, that you think the two of you should be on your way. Erikar willingly agrees with the notion, tells you that he has no desire to encounter any more of the Bogrin, and with all that you've discovered, he's eager to leave the swamp. You can only tempt fate so long in a place like this, he says, glancing about nervously. I think we've... We've so far done more than our share, fair share of tempting. You're right, let's go. Remember, not a word of this to anyone. In fact, we never came ashore at all. The two of you return to the boat, and with Erikar again at the oars, you set off across the cove, bound for the mouth of the inlet. As you, as you near the mouth of the cove, a violent jolt shakes the boat. The sound of something scraping against the bottom of the vessel sends your pulse racing. Erikar, his eyes wide, drops the, or drops the oars and shoots his gaze into the water on either side of the small craft. I knew I saw something, he says. Don't see anything now. Can you see it? What is it? As Erikar continues to pair down into the water, you remain silent and still, your eyes scouring the surface of the pool, and yet every sense alert for the first sign of danger. So a sign of intimate danger. After nearly a minute with no further activity, however, you relax your guard and tell your companion to take up his oars and row the boat out of the inlet. Erika has just opened his mouth to reply when the surface of the pool to your right suddenly explodes. Shang you with the cool, silt-filled water of the bog. Wiping the muck from your eyes, you stare in horror at the head of a massive green-stailed serpent now rising up out of the murky depths, its horned head stabbing into the sky. A trosk, which has a link. Trosk, these powerful serpents, though where these days, still inhabit remote swamplands where they whitely wane at the very top of the food chain. Able to stay submerged for hours at a time, the Trosk will emerge from the water to bewilder and ensnare its unsuspecting prey. There are several varieties of these massive serpents. Although the majority of them have green scales, their heads are adorned with a pair of long white horns that the creature will use to attack. These massive reptiles may grow to be nearly 50 feet in length. There are few indeed who have encountered a fully grown Trosk and live to tell about it. Well, I think that number's about to increase by two. Oh, do I shout something? 
something, and his desperate cry is drowned out by the fearsome serpent's ear-shattering roar. With its fang-filled jaw stretched wide, the trosk rears back his head and then lunges towards your companion. Erica shrieks in terror and throws up his hand in a futile bid to protect himself from the massive serpent's deadly strike. Alright, so I can remain where I are and presumably leave Erica to die. Or I could do the heroic thing and throw yourself between Erica and the Trosk. Without a second thought, you place yourself between your fallen companion and the lunging serpent. The Trosk, strips of slime clinging to its dagger-like fangs, halts its dive and again wears back its head, as if reassessing the situation. Then... With a roar that echoes throughout the swamp, the fearsome creature lunges down, this time for you. So, got a few options. I could dodge, I could use elementalism or fortification. I'll give elementalism a go. It succeeded. 16 XP to elementalism. You hastily summon your power of elementalism and watch as the dark water and the base of the trosk exposed neck begins to wildly churn. Bewildered by the sudden activity caused by the three water elementals that answered your summons, the fearsome serpent wars as it swims away from the boat. The trosk is about 30 yards distant when it suddenly slips back down into the murky pool. It does not again breach the surface. You waste no time tending to Erica and we're relieved to find you made it through the encounter relatively unscathed. As you help her to sit upright, he shakes his head and manages a nervous laugh. Well, I did say that I thought I saw something, he says. I don't think this little cove's big enough for two of them, but I'd rather not take a chance on it. Let's not tarry. Hand me the oar, would you? Are you alright? You ought to hear, hear, hear all about this back at the hall. Real story for a change something quite welcome. With that, you take up your now familiar perch. The opposite end of the boat as echoing sets into the oars, propelling a small cr- the small craft towards the mouth of the inlet. It takes you three days to make your way out of the deep. Only once, once you become almost hopelessly lost in the maze of channels that spider web the entangled mire. Quickly putting your heads together, however, you and Africa manage to correct your course. When at last your small boat passes out of the swamp and into the marsh from which you began the mission, you whisper a thankful prayer. Though you cannot swear to it, you're certain you caught a glimpse of your companion doing the same. Your return to the lodge causes something of a small slur. Small stir. News of your mission, despite the secrecy with which it was conducted, seems to have spread throughout the hall. Erica, to make matters work, quickly consumes more than his fill of ale and begins relating the details of your journey, though not every detail, to anyone willing to listen to his increasingly incoherent ramblings. Lodge Master Wogbaden, seemingly unconcerned about the navigator's behaviour, takes you aside and asks you about the mission. At our fault school, friend of mine as he is, isn't very good at remembering things, he says, almost scowling as he eyes you curiously. So, what happened? One of our listeners, grimacing hazily, 
as you will provide him with a detailed account of journey into the swamp and, and your discovery of the ruins marked by the seven-pointed star symbol. He managed to leave out a select few pieces of information. The deep's full of dangers, he grumbles, but you made it back. It can be done, it's been done before, and you've just done it again. And what's more, you've successfully completed the task. Fine job of it, Soup. You ask the logmaster when he next when he plans to send the next expedition into the wounds. He shrugs and does a rather poor job of feigning disinterest. He tells you you'll first need to carefully consider what you, what he's told you. Don't worry, I'll be having you headed up. It's been an age or two since we've had some had one like you about. Waldbaron's grin swiftly turns into a snarl. Don't let that little bit of news get you too trilly, snarls. You've done something you can talk about, but not all, all sure of you yet. It was, after all, just one small job. Not even sure I like you, now. I don't take it hard to be there. There are very few I do like. Following your talk with Waterbaden, you meet with Marple. The one-armed Tagsmaster seems particularly impressed that you made it back alive. He tells you he's glad you were able to carry out the mission. And both you with and both you and Erica return safely. He's a dear friend to many of us, he says, his demeanour suggesting anything but warm feelings for Navigator. But these days he's at his best. I'm sorry today. But these days he's at his best, I'm sorry to say, with a flag in his hand. Still, he knows the deep better than anyone. Marobo presents you with two leather bags each containing a large quantity of gold. That's 2,500 gold. Twice. You've made your mark here, he says. Not just with the lodge master each. Remember, though, where your loyalties must lie, no matter what. Puzzled by his last statement, you ask him what he meant by it, but get no reply. Instead, the taskmaster smiles and turns his head back to the table that serves as his familiar haunt. Putting his party remark out of mind, you settle in next to the fire and stretch your feet out towards the hearth. As the crackling blaze's warm glow washes over you, chasing away the last vestiges of the swamp's damp chill, a sloshing tankard is thrust into your hand. Startled, you look up to find a tall, heavy-set, bearded man standing dust over your shoulder. The unknown man nods, winks, and moves off across the room. You call out to thank him, but your voice is swiftly devoured by the incessant cacophony that fills the lodge. With the full tankard resting against your midsection, your wary glaze roams the clouded hall. For the first time since drawing a lodge, seems seems that not every glance wandering your way is brimming with contempt. So... This finishes this adventure with 1,024 experience to general and 128 experience to all skills and powers. Next adventure is the third thing. Yep, no new adventures were unlocked by doing that. Now, you know what? I'm going to show those, show those garnets to... To Valeria at the trading post. Allow Valeria to examine your items. Valeria takes a look through your belongings and expresses an interest 
the following item. Large wedge garnet times four. Furlier tells you he will pay two adventure tokens for each garnet. You'll have to sell me all four of them, he says. I want to have them as a set. Sell the garnets for eight adventurer tokens. Okay. Yep. Alright, and they are sold. Alright, they're sold. Bully accepts the four garnets and hands you eight adventurer tokens. She thanks you and tells you from time to time. She'd very much like to have a look at the objects you've collected. I know one thing about adventurers, it says. Is that usually in possession of items both curious and valuable. You know, should have been an adventurer. Well, that's a story for another time. And there. Okay, and that I'm going to save. And that is it for now. Next time, we will do the third fang also here. But until then, farewell, fellow adventurous. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.